0: You are listening to View Source: conversations around WordPress and adjacent tech with hosts Aruba Ahmed and me, Brian Kortz. Aruba, welcome back to our Next.js series. I'm very excited. Are you excited?
1: Yes. I feel like it's been a while.
0: <laughs> I feel like it's been a while for us. I This is something I saw in the last few days or weeks. I feel like there's been all these conversations of like maybe a little bit of React fatigue kind of setting in and a little bit of like a you know, sense of like, ah, but I saw this, somebody's opinion, I, I, don't know, I don't remember, it was on Twitter or something, somebody said that, you know, the reason React hit its popularity and why it's still kind of like, the default framework is Next.js. That Next.js is like the thing that like put React into a place where it just like, made things like, easy, quick, easy to launch. What do you think? Do you think Next.js is like a big part of the reason we love React so much in the developer community?
1: But when I think of React, I think of it in two different places. You know, one is, let me use React for everything. And then there's the, let me use React to do certain things in my application. And for the people who want to use React for everything, Next.js is the reason they want to do that because Next.js really put React on the map in that way, allowing you to really use JavaScript to do everything on the front end. Okay. and kind of the back end the ba- yeah yeah but like i think about wordpress for example you know react is a small part of it it's not the entire thing it's getting to be a bigger part of it admittedly yeah. <laughs> but if it was just that and there was no next js framework i don't think react would be as big it would be
0: mm-hmm.
1: handy but I wouldn't say React is handier than say jQuery was back in the day. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I feel like I didn't, I don't know enough about where Next.js like entered the picture in the React world because like I did come to it from like the WordPress side of it. Like that's when I first started like having to care about it more than like, I don't know, some other frameworks that we used to use back in the day, like Vue and stuff. So, it's kind of interesting to hear that Next.js is so popular, but it does make sense that it's like the really first, like, or not first, but like most popular off the shelf. Here's your whole, you know, routing, uh, like integrations, hosting, all these things that kind of get bundled in together and it's a solid framework. So I think that that can make sense uh, that Next.js is that kind of big other piece.
1: Yeah, so React was introduced, I believe, in 2013, And Next.js was introduced, its very first version came out in 2016. So it was very quickly after React became a thing, you know, Uh, just as it was starting to gain steam, that's when Next.js showed up because there was this need. People were like, this is amazing. But, you know, with React, you can't do, say, caching. It doesn't handle navigation. It doesn't handle internationalization. Mm -hmm. It doesn't handle, uh, it doesn't have, like, stuff to help you with images. It feels like trying to make a website with pure php without any help from anything else uh-huh. you know but if you like php then you probably want to use something like wordpress or statemake or something because or laravel right because it's a framework that gives you all those helpers in the language that you enjoy and if you started enjoying javascript for all kinds of different ui reasons it's we, we as developers have this natural tendency to say, let me just do everything in it, uh, yeah. happens all the time. And there we go. That's how next.js happened.
0: Nice. So speaking of doing everything in a framework, where, where are you thinking we're going to go today? Because we set up user authentication. We set up like super to handle use, logging in users. We kind of looked at a repo. We kind of looked a little bit about, um, the, uh, CSS and that sort of stuff. Um, what's kind of the next big step in this application that we're building and, and what are we, what are we actually going to see today?
1: Yeah. So I think the really important thing is so far in this series, we've been using Next.js as our foundation, but we have not actually looked at Next.js per se very deeply. Mm-hmm. How, I don't think in this episode, we talked about, you know, how would I actually create multiple pages if I wanted to for a website? How mm. would I actually fetch data? You know, I mean, sure, I showed you how to use Superbase, but then how do you actually get that to happen inside the application? How do we use vanilla extract in combination with the pages and the data to create the styles and make the site look like something? Because so far we haven't actually seen a very very styled website yet. So well, I wasn't today, gonna say
0: anything, but
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we 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 were just paying attention to those fun- pieces of functionality, right? And I think that's the thing about Next.js and a lot of JavaScript frameworks, in my opinion. There's so many decisions to be made that you have to figure out yourself. That sometimes you have to go and look at those decisions and how they're gonna work before you even get to working. And the more you do it, of course, the smaller that. Ch- Time period becomes in the beginning, and I I would say that's not a JavaScript thing; it's an anything thing, really. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I'm dealing with that not in JavaScript right now. That kind of like (laughs) I don't know the way to accomplish this yet, and I want to try three different things to make sure I'm confident in picking a dis a route, a decision. Yeah, totally, totally.
1: Yeah, but you know, we are can now actually look at how those decisions play with. Next.js to build the website that we're doing. And as a reminder, the website that we're building is an interactive version of wpaudit.site, which is a very old project that I built, mm-hmm. which currently is a single page little checklist that people can just go and check off. But if you refresh the page or do anything, you know, all the things that you might have checked off, they all go away. So today we are going to look at Next.js how to make the pages. We're gonna look mm-hmm. at a version of the WP audit checklist that is styled almost exactly, almost mm-hmm. exactly as WP.audit .audit site is. However, it's all Next.js and React because the original one is just HTML and a little bit of SCSS.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to see, I'm just curious to see it. I'm curious to see like the components and... Uh... yeah how you're putting together because I remember looking at that original one and it was just literally just like a piece of HTML, which in some ways sounds really nice. And you're just like, ah, just like, just some, like, let me write some HTML. But um, I'm just curious to see, it feels like it's going to be a lot more manageable now that it's like broken down into components and routes and stuff like that. So I'm excited. There's
1: definitely some really interesting things here that I want to introduce as we walk through it. So, how about I go ahead and I share my screen and we'll take a look at what it looks like on the front end first. We're taking a look at the Next.js React version of WPAudit.site. What is your first reaction when you look at this, Brian?
0: I mean, it literally looks like WPAudit.site as I remember it. Like, it, yes. it looks it- the same.
1: It's very close. It has a few different things that are not in here. For example, in the current WPI.site, each of the checklist areas are actually broken up into sections. And right now in oh, this yeah. version, they aren't here because uh, that's functionality we're not gonna be focusing on today. But aside from that, is there something here that isn't on wp.auditsite? site?
0: Well, there's two things I will say. One is I actually forgot about the filters, like the kind of categories of things. And like, it actually sounds way more exciting now that you're building it in React because you could get way like it more fluid and stuff without using a bunch of jQuery show and hide. Um, But I think the thing that obviously sticks out the most to me is the button that says login in the top right corner because there is no login button on the current site.
1: That's right. And actually, fun fact, on wpaudit.site, the hiding and showing of the different sections, it does not use any jQuery. There's no JavaScript, Ooh. it's just using checkboxes and some CSS. So if okay. you get curious, you can take a look at that. It's, you know, uh just available. You can just go look at the page. It just uses some conditionals and pseudo classes in CSS, and mm-hmm. that's it. So it's really nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sibling so, selectors and
0: whatnot. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, but very, very basic ones. Very, okay. very simple yes so this is all styled and of course if i were to go to log in then we have our login page and there's like a little bit of a login form at the bottom and a Mm. register link as well which if i go to register then i can also register and all of this is basically using the same functionality that we used last time so Mm -hmm. if i do register it then superbase will send me an email There'll be a confirmation link. And once I confirm it, then I will be able to log in with whatever credentials I created. So in this case, I would say let's walk through that process a little bit because there's a few things I changed.
0: Okay. I'm just curious if you used, like when you did these cards and stuff, like are these a utility class? Are they a component? Um, How did you manage keeping that cohesive design across everything, uh, the buttons and everything, like did you make components for these? Did you just make styles for them or you know that sort of thing? I'm yeah, curious. we'll
1: take a look. So while you were saying that, I went ahead and I registered and then it refreshed and it came back to the homepage, except now there's a little notification there that says, check your email for a confirmation link to finish signing up. So once I go ahead and click on the email, and grab the link from there, that goes away. And now I can go in and I can log in. And I'm just gonna do that. And once I do that, in the navigation now, there is a new item called your audit. Mm.
0: So you clicked the link in the email and I saw it in the URL that you confirmed. Are you gonna have a UI that's like, you've confirmed successfully, now go click login or something like that to kind of like,
1: Yes, I should definitely take you to that add. next step. In this particular example, it's not there, but yes, uh, in good UX, you would definitely want to have that and not just be a refresh for sure. But again, I'll open an
0: issue for you. <laughs> go for it, go for it.
1: Um, but it would use the same uh, feature that we use to show that initial uh, little no- notification saying, "Oh, finish signing up by clicking your link." You can detect the parameters that might be in the URL and based on that do some behavior in the Mm -hmm. browser itself. So I clicked on your audit and here it's giving me just a very simple little heading and then the email address that I'm logged in with. And then it has a button for me to create my audit. So if I click on it, I get my own version of the audit, which then I could edit or well, track my to-do list in as here. So that's what we're looking at today.
0: And so you, at this point, if you start checking items as done, that will persist.
1: Yes. In this very moment, it will not because I have that functionality commented out, but that Mm -hmm. is how it's, how it works. Yeah. So that, you know, if you click, then all of that starts to persist and you could log in, log out, go away, whatever you come back and it's going to be able to uh, detect that and recreate that for you. And we're going to look at how that works. So you asked a question about how I made those styles all consistent. Obviously the, the short answer to that is components. So That's I'm just gonna make the, zoom this in a little bit more. We've looked at this bit before, but basically the, in Next.js 14, you have the option of having an SRC, a source folder. So we have a source folder and I'm using the latest version of their routing set system which is called the app router. So everything lives inside this folder called app. And here you're going to see that there's a bunch of folders and then there's a bunch of files in the root of the app. There is a main page which becomes the home page and then there's a style file associated with that page and something called an open graph image. So there's a lot of really cool file-based things in Next.js. So if I want to provide any particular page with a social media image, I can just call it open graph image and then give it a PNG, whatever. And that it will automatically detect that that is the mm. case. Yes. Okay. And it also has like a really cool built in function for you to be able to automatically create it. So, you know, you see those funky social media images where people, it's basically a screenshot of that article where it creates mm-hmm. this custom one programmatically. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So that's built into Next.js. And you can just create a little file called
0: opengraph-image.tsx,
1: and it will create it with whatever funginess you want to add in there. It's really nice.
0: People doing blogs on Next.js, like pulling markdown files from a repo or something like that, Mm -hmm. or connecting to like an API like Contentful or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, so in that in those cases, they could either do that something in their CMS if they had one, or they could have a little function in here that just grabs some information from that markdown file or whatever and creates a custom thumbnail. So okay. that's sort of a really nice feature that's just sort of built into Next.js and has been for a while, as far as I know. But outside okay. of the homepage, everything else is in folders.
0: Okay. So that new folder is audit, the first folder. And is that, that's the route you were on when you were doing your audit, right? We were on that audit route. So that new folder follows all the conventions and will have basically what we need.
1: That's right. So any folder, the folder is the URL path that you want to go to. So that was slash audit. And then if you want it to be an actual page, because not all routes have to have a page of physical pages physical visual page associated mm-hmm. with it but in this case we do so then that has to be called page.js if you're using just javascript or tsx if you're using type TypeScript like i am so let's take a look at what that looks like so there's a bunch of stuff happening in this mm-hmm. the very first thing is there's a bunch of stuff that we're importing in some that is like super base related some that is next related tell me what you're seeing
0: mm, so my, what I think I'm looking at uh, on a, from a high level is React components because I see you have a function called Checklist that gets some props. It returns an Audit List kind of React component. So I'm guess, and then you're passing like some props to that. Um, there's an Audit component that again is the default export. So maybe that's like the page or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it has, yep. Uh, yep. And you're in the the markup for that one. It's returning like a header and the the main like semantic element and stuff like that. Um yeah, okay. I'm seeing yeah. some pretty familiar react right here, I think.
1: Yes. So, if you are familiar with react, you know, this is actually going to feel really familiar and you're totally right that default function is the one and you can call it literally whatever you want. It just needs to be the default function and that is going to be the output of the main page. Now, in Next.js 14, the, there are server components and there are client components. So you can render a page on the server and then send it to the browser, or you can have it render on the client, which used to be the default way anything in React sort of worked and in Next.js.
0: So what are you choosing and why?
1: So in this case because it doesn't say anything at the top, it means that this is going to default to a server component. So next JS 14 is server first client second.
0: Is, and why, why a server component? Is it because you need like user authentication to happen or does that not really not related?
1: Well, in this case with Superbase. As we talked about last episode, we're using a cookie to keep ourselves authenticated. So technically that is information we're available to us in Next.js anyway, on the server and on the in the on the client side. But in this case, you know, one of the things that I don't like is when you wanna load a piece of data and you get to the page and then you have to wait more and then the data comes. That's great if there's a lot of different pieces of data and not all of them are relevant immediately, but Mm -hmm. if you have data or stuff that you want showing up and without it, the page is useless. I don't want that to happen on the client side. I want that data Mm -hmm. to be there when you load the page. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. It obviously it opens like a million questions about caching, about performance when you have logged in users in an application like this versus when you're just trying to build like not static, but like essentially like kind of like more of a static experience that can be super heavily cached. I have to imagine that the fact that this render does do a lot more on the server maybe affects that. Um, I don't know, but I I understand like what you're saying. And to me, like that's what it feels like for people coming from WordPress, which is like, I just want the server to think and make a page and serve the page. And I don't, I can do the stuff later, but like, please just do this for me.
1: Yeah, the other thing that's really cool about Next.js is it has a really interesting cache setup in it. So all this information that I am fetching from anywhere, it's all cached. So even if it's happening on the server, unless there's a reason to invalidate that cache and then get new information, you're not actually making those calls on the server all the time. So it's also it's still very performant, even if you're just using the server. It's going to be still fairly performant if you're using the client. What it enables you to do is decide if there are certain pieces of information you wanna process before anything renders in the browser at all, which is something we're all used to doing. But then in the React paradigm before, that was not a thing, right? You did all the processing right there in the client on the person's comp-
0: computer. Mm-hmm. That's the issue where, and I'm dealing with this right now on a thing where say I'm it's a setting screen and for that first like two seconds, all the settings are empty because we rendered the screen, but the API call that's getting the actual values takes an extra second. So you need to put in like some sort of loading state or something because there's just that flash of, oh, everything's empty. Oh wait, now it's filled out again. And that kind of like client side, like fetching sometimes, I mean, I think we've solved it with like loading states and stuff, but again, it's like, is it that is that the best way? You know, sometimes it's nice to just have everything ready.
1: Yeah, exactly. So in this case, I decided that, you know, if there's a checklist, I just want this ready and then we can load the page. And because everything is cached, it's honestly going to be be really fast anyway. And so that's why I left this one as a server. So all this page does is it has, we have a custom react hook called is user logged in. And I'm grabbing the user from that. And then if there's no user, I actually redirect them to the login page. And there's a lot of different ways to do this This is one of the simplest ways to do that. And then I have a header component, which is how I'm keeping, keeping those styles consistent for the header. And then I have this main area that has a checklist component and some styles, as you can see.
0: So, that check for if the user's logged in doesn't happen, like, at a middleware level? It totally or... does. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, it it I can totally do it with middleware as well. And okay. I have a check in there for logging in, but I wanted to show it here because even if you didn't have middleware and you're not required to, you can do redirects right from the page component. Okay. And if you don't have a lot of complicated stuff, sometimes it's nice to just see what's going on inside the actual page. It depends. You know, it totally depends in in every application. But I remember before I was introduced to the concept of middleware, this is what you saw everywhere. You know, everyone was doing these redirects in the page, which you can still do. Uh, And I also have a middleware file, which which is checking for the login. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And then based on that information, I can actually go and do stuff stuff here as well so in the most ideal situation if i didn't if i was having other things that are going on here and eventually there will be i would just have the middleware handle that and clean and clean that out of here completely because then you don't have to deal or think about routing when you're thinking about the page itself
0: yeah and also it becomes a thing where you feel like you're doing it every you know i think that if there's something you're doing on every page you kind of start to the developer and you says like well There's probably, there's probably a better way to do this. If I'm having to do the same code on every page.
1: hundred percent. And as you get into more complicated projects, you know, you probably want to always remove anything that is navigation related, especially from your components, because you want to be able to do isolated testing on your UX components. Mm. Right. And you don't want to have a reliance on like say next inside there right now, there's a next navigation dependency here in this component and if this was something that I was going to be reusing a lot or there's going to be other logic in here, that's not going to be an ideal situation.
0: So you are, so on this audit screen, you're also pulling in this checklist component. That's but the checklist component is just returning the audit list component. So can you explain to me what's happening there?
1: Yeah, so there's this new pattern in the app router where if you wanna fetch data, you don't do it in the main, main element. You do it mm. asynchronously in a different function, which you then pass or access through the main page. So here, that's a component that I'm accessing right here as checklist. But because this is something I already have a different, very isolated component for, I grab all the data, then format it the way I want, and then I pass it back to that main page. Okay. I could technically do that actual audit list setup in the main page and just pass it pure data too, but to in my head at the mo at the time it just felt much cleaner to just have one checklist like in there and that does whatever I need in here in the uh, actual main checklist function.
0: Yeah, and I'm never going to complain about a bunch of small functions <laughs> than than like yeah. uh, a React component that's like hundreds of lines before you get to the return um
1: yes that always sucks
0: it's it's a tough balance though too because i was digging through some stuff uh looking at the block editor looking at some of the blocks right and it was like sometimes you don't realize like oh i'm not even in the component i'm in like the five components that it's using to build the component so like if you are digging through somebody else's react you know just because a function opens at the top of the page, that's very often not the actual component that's being exported. That's like all the things that's gonna go into it. Um, Yeah. Something to keep in mind.
1: The other one interesting thing in here is this form action, which is also specific to Next.js 14. And you can see it basically for the button, create an audit, there's an action. So now every single page route that you create in Next.js 14, you can create an associated actions.ts or actions.js file, which Mm. will only work inside forms. And we touched on this in the beginning just a little bit, but it allows you to do things based on some form data. And so when you have a form or you have like a single action that you wanna do, you can just create a separate little function, in this case in actions and do some, Fanciness there if you need.
0: Okay. So this is like almost view, and I don't want to say controller logic, but it is like a separation of concerns, which is like the main page is really about just getting stuff in front of the user. And then if you want there to be like some more interactive things happening, logical things, you know, based on the user's input or something like that, you can make your own separate actions. I really like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the more I use it, the more I like it. The caveat is it only works with forms. So it's only meant for forms. So you if you want to use an action, it must be inside a form. So you can see that I have this button and it's wrapped inside a form.
0: So number 1, I actually do like that because I do think sometimes we get to this place where like buttons are just these independent things used everywhere. So I, I'm not totally opposed to that. Why is the action though not on like the form? Or could it be like, if, I mean, in this case, the form is just a button. So it doesn't like, it's not really a good argument, but in say there was an input and a button. Um yeah. so you, could make you put submit it on button. the form? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then you could put it on the form, but you could also have a form that has more than one submit, more than one button in it and no submit button, and then have every button be connected to a different form action.
0: Okay, okay. So
1: think about like a login form. But it's not just a login form; it's also a sign-up form. So instead of one submit, there is a login and a sign-up button. It's a it's a pattern I'm starting to see a lot more, and I'm not entirely sure what I think about it, but it is becoming more common. And in that case, you could have both of them in the same form.
0: I wonder also how that works um, with accessibility in terms of like submitting a form as you're like going through it. Like I, sometimes I. You ever have like a form where you just want to hit enter and submit yeah. the form, but you can't, or something like that? So it's an interesting yes. an interesting like rabbit hole to go down. But the Definitely. setup here is very cool. Can I ask about the styles dot button? I'm guessing are you using like that's is that like CSS modules, or is that um like a different sort of abstraction on top of that?
1: Yeah. So this is using vanilla extract because that's the sort of CSS tool we decided to include in the beginning of mm-hmm. this series. So I'm going to open up this associated file called style.css.ts. And in this, ca- in this place, you can see I'm importing a style function, which allows me to write CSS. And I'm importing some variables, my design tokens from a theme.css. And then I'm just creating classes in a funky little JSX style. Where it's all this, all of them are camel cased, but it allows me to use a lot of JS tokens in it and makes it really JS happy. Uh, it's it's the best compromise I've found for doing JS in a CSS way without the dings of JS and runtimes because it has no runtime.
0: Okay, I have a couple of questions here.
1: Yeah, um, let's
0: hear them. Number one, the Writing CSS as actual JavaScript objects where, like you said, everything has to go to camel case now because, you know, that's mm-hmm. what happens when in JSX in general, just like we have to go camel case. Yeah. Um, And to pull in WordPress a little bit, the idea of writing styles in a theme.json folder file is a similar thing. So clearly this yeah. is a pattern that we're seeing a lot more of, especially from the React influence community. Um that we're yes. seeing CSS being written like this. It's, it's a little hard to look at, I'm not gonna lie. But I guess my first question is you have buttons, like this is in the audit thing, but you use a button in other places. So is the button styling written in multiple places or how are you handling that? Cause like this is this one case- place.
1: Yes. So in this case, the reason it has its own is because I wanted to style it a little differently than I styled it in some other places, but I can pull in my styles from anywhere I want. So just like I'm grabbing my variables from this theme.css, I could have all of my really high level styles that I want shared across any component, put them in a file somewhere and then be able to import them into this file or directly into my actual page component and then just be able to apply that to any element I want. So the reason I like this better than say other CSS and JS frameworks is because it makes it easy to do that. You can just do that in a way that feels pretty intuitive, you know, import the CSS sort of quote unquote module and grab Mm -hmm. the class from there. But then it's still more CSS heavy and it allows for dynamic CSS, which allows Basically mean, ensures that you never have styles that conflict, names that conflict ever. And that becomes a little more important, supposedly, when you're working <laughs> in a large team.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm. It's like the whole world of CSS. I just think CSS is just so weird in its like original form like the idea <laughs> of these like cascading layers and, and stuff like that and the just the craziness of how you do it we did a project where i tried to use scss like that kind of sassy css mixed with css modules which is similar to this where you you get you, the class name isn't you're not passing a string as the class name you're passing like an, like an actual variable that you've exported yeah. like, and stuff and then the, the layer of like SAS stuff on top of it made it really hard because like the nesting didn't work, which is like the reason I wanted to use it and all this stuff. Have you gotten to any complicated CSS with this and how has that worked? Already I see like the hover, like all I'm thinking is, man, uh, you're going to be doing a lot of Googling or trusting Copilot to uh, just know how to do those sorts of things, you know?
1: So the first time I looked at a vanilla extract file, I had pretty much exactly the same reaction as you as in oh my god this is horrible and ugly and what am i looking at i don't want to look at it this is hard on my eyes it is one of the things that you get used to a lot like jsx you know you look at it you look at it it's like all right you know um you can you can handle it your mind can get around to looking at this other thing in that case the html but in a javascript format
0: <laughs> but how do you do like like CSS, like sibling selectors or any of that, like, I mean, do they, okay. So like that, those are things that, that are doable.
1: Yes. So not this one, let's see audit item. That's a good one. The first rule of vanilla extract is if you have a parent and a child, Mm -hmm. you don't target the child from the parent, you target the child using the parent sounds really weird at first. Mm -hmm. So here is an example. We have a checkbox class, which applies to an input that is a checkbox. And then Mm -hmm. we have a label, right? And we have a label that is a sibling of that checkbox element. And what I want is when the input checkbox is checked, I want to do something to the sibling label. Normally okay. in say SCSS, you would just nest it, right? You'd be this like, oh, checkbox plus label. Yeah. And you'd have that in the, pa- in quote unquote, the parent selector, which is the checkbox itself, because that's what it's stemming from. Mm-hmm. That's the behavior. That's the trigger. But in this, you don't affect it in the trigger. You affect it where you want the results to happen, which
0: is very javascript Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So in here, you can see there's a selector, and I'm grabbing that variable that is that class that's selected to the checkbox, and I'm saying when that is checked, for the before pseudo element of this label, do something.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's
1: very weird at first. It's very weird because that's not how not how we think in CSS, but it is how we think in a one flow one way flow that React works in, right? You can't pull Mm -hmm. a prop up. You can only only ever pull a prop down.
0: Okay, and does you feel like the end result of this is like, what is the, what, what, on the, for the front end user, are they loading like a lot less CSS? Are they, you know, is it handling things like whatever tree shaking and stuff? Like, is it, is it worth the effort for that end result?
1: I think one of the main things that people are trying to accomplish when they're using CSS and JS is reduce the chance of duplicated conflicting CSS class names and to make each component testable in an isolated manner and also make it movable from project to project. Those are the few things that are the reasons for CSS and JS. And if you can take that and combine it with no runtime impact, which is what vanilla extract does, and that is those are the things you're looking for, then it is absolutely worth it.
0: Okay. And the variables, yeah. are those CSS variables? Or are they more like, is it just like an object Flex. that you get to build? Like you have background color, primary? Is that like an object yeah. somewhere that you're building up?
1: Yeah, it's an object that I have here in theme.css, looks like this. But if you were to look at this page on the front end, it would just be CSS variables that are uh, connected to the root. Okay. But I could actually connect it to any element I wanted. I just chose root because I want these to be globally available. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That is, you know, it's one of those things where I'm sure that two weeks of working only in this, it makes a lot of sense. And it becomes easy. Um, And honestly, I I genuinely think like with things like Copilot that are going to make code, like not that it's taking away coding, but it's definitely making the the scaffold, like the physical act of writing things into your keyboard Mm -hmm. happen so much faster. I feel like that's the, that's literally the only thing I think it's doing so far is like, I know what I need the next 10 lines to be, and so does Copilot, so I don't have to literally type it. And for those sorts of things where it can just kind of, like, things can scaffold instantly in real time in front of you, the formats become a little less important as long as you know your fundamentals and you know, like, what you're trying to accomplish with it. Um, The fact that you have to remember background color is now camel case becomes a lot less, like, important, maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah which is a perfect segue into the componentization of WP audit itself. So WP audit is a checklist. Now I want to eventually make this checklist something that people can edit and customize. And also I don't want it to be just this HTML page. So how do I separate the view from the data? And the way I did it is I used a JSON file.
0: That's what I was thinking. Okay. (laughs)
1: except here's the fun thing. I didn't write this JSON file. I gave Copilot the file and said, make me a JSON file with all of this information in this format. And then it did.
0: What, what form? What, you gave him the HTML? Or I gave a, it the HTML
1: a, WP audit saw, site. Yeah.
0: And you and said, convert said this to JSON?
1: Yeah. I said, take every article because all the, section, all the little checklist items are article and give me a checklist title that's pulled from the label description that's pulled from the paragraph and a resources array that takes all the links in the list inside an article and give me a title and a link it made this whole thing for me and it took like 30 seconds at most for me to think it and then give it the information and it spit it out and it was nice
0: that's kind of incredible i mean that's like the dream is honestly those sorts of things as things exactly. where you're like, I could write a piece of, I could write a script that would do that, that would like parse my HTML and do it, but it would be a pain in the butt to like exactly. And it would, and you would, you would end up just doing it manually because you would, it would yeah. be worth it.
1: And also, I only need to do it once, right? Maybe if I was yeah. doing it multiple times, then I would write a script, and yeah. even in that case, I would just have Copilot scaffold the script for <laughs> me, and then you know, edit it well, myself. I was,
0: I was imagining a pre-Copilot world, but I, I was recording a video. And it was like, you know, I turned off Copilot for a video, and it's like, even just imports at the top of your page, you're like, oh, what? Like, I have to write yeah. the whole import now? <laughs> like, so lazy already. It's I just know. Those, those little things. Okay. So, this is a JSON file, and you have like the title, the description, the links, and whether they've checked it or not.
1: Yeah. So, this and is just like, a template, right? The seed to yeah, seed to Syria information.
0: And so you save a copy of this in in the database. So if you change this template, somebody who's already started doesn't, it doesn't affect theirs.
1: So what this does is I take this audit.json file and I feed it to a component called the audit list. And the audit list can just, it assumes that it's going to get a JSON file and then it basically creates a section uh creates an area with all of those list items using a separate component that is for each checkbox component uh, called an audit item. And the audit item is really the main, main meat and potatoes of the list, the styles and the information. So yeah. that's that. But even then, you know it's actually not that complicated. But now I don't have to go and edit an HTML file and then make sure that I've done it exactly in the right place in the right order in order to make updates to WP audit. I can just go update that JSON file, which is a lot more readable than an entire raw HTML page.
0: And so at this point in the development, you're just pulling in, but then the goal would be when someone creates a new audit, you would actually just throw that in their database row. That's right. And pull it from there. Just right now, this is like an intermediary step where you're.
1: Yeah. So when we created that audit for my user, it's creating it using this audit.json. But once that's done, it doesn't refer to this JSON file at all. It's actually referring to the database row for that person. Oh, it is. Okay. From there. Yeah. Yeah. This is just there for the homepage and for that in, in that initial seed. So... We never looked at, I think, the audits table last time. But essentially, we have a table called audits here in Superbase. And it essentially has a row per audit. So technically, Mm -hmm. the ability to show more than one audit per user, it already exists on a database level. Because we just have an ID, a created at, a last modified, checklist data, which is all the JSON that you saw in Mm -hmm. the editor, and then which user it's associated with.
0: And so theoretically, there's, no, there's nothing making it a unique use the, the user ID column is not unique. There's no reason that you couldn't have That's multiple checklists tied to the same user.
1: Exactly. And then you can just show them and then have the option to, you know, open whichever you want in the UI. And that wouldn't be particularly hard functionality to create.
0: I think sometimes it's hard to choose when to prepare for a future, especially if you know it's one thing if you know, okay, I'm going to do this feature later on. So like I will prepare for it. It's another thing to say, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And it's another thing to say, like, that's not honestly worth my energy to even worry about right now. I just need to get like a good MVP out the door that like this thing that I might want to one day do, like kind of not worth the effort.
1: Honestly, I am the queen of scope creep. It's, it's, (laughs) it's just true. You know, I want to make everything awesome and super perfect. And I am doing my best these days to not think that way and be, you know, it, it is very difficult to balance doing the right thing with efficiency, which is what we're saying here, what we're talking about and grappling with. And right now I would say that I want to do the right thing and be efficient for now and maybe a very near future and not be thinking about the long term future. Because if I'm just thinking about now in the near future, and still trying to do things in a good way, I'm preparing for I'm setting myself up for pretty decent success in the long term as well. And still getting things out the door and creating results right now, which sometimes is far more important than trying to do the perfect thing for eight years down the road.
0: Yeah. The, I think that's a big like lesson to most people which is like to just ship faster. <laughs> like that's a thing yes. we all struggle with, I think. At least 100%. I you know. So it's like yeah, not letting like perfect be the enemy of good.
1: Yeah. Or so done. What,
0: yeah, or just getting yeah, just like being done. So what's yeah. what's our next step cuz this is part 3 technically part 4, but we we'll call it 3. <laughs> What do you think? Do you think? Let's do multiple checklists. You think? Yeah. That's our next step. Multiple checklists. Yeah. Okay. I do. And and I also want to see exactly how you sent that to to, uh, Superbase and back. I'm kind of curious to see the actual process of saving data and fetching data.
1: Totally. And I think that will be perfect in the multiple checklist series. We can look at... How are we actually manipulating the checklist to update it? And how can we create more than one and sort of use that JSON sort of setup that we've created and take advantage Mm
0: -hmm. of it? Well, I am looking forward to it.
1: All right. I guess I'll see you next time then. (laughs) See you then. Visit viewsource.fm for the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show, we would love a review on iTunes or a comment on YouTube.